Barefooting with Sierra uses Buzzsprout. Just start with the equipment you already have and a quiet space. Add Buzzsprout and your podcast is ready to go. You'll get a great looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to show how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and more. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. Following the link in the show notes lets Buzzsprout know that I sent you, gets you a $20 Amazon gift card if you sign up for a paid plan, and helps support the show. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join over 100,000 podcasters already using Buzzsprout and get your message out to the world. Hello and welcome to episode 58 of Barefooting with Sierra. This podcast is recorded on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral land of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Ojibwe, Dakota Sioux, and others for time immemorial. I also would like to acknowledge that this land is home to the Métis Nation of Alberta and that I am a settler on this land. My name is Sierra Larson, better known as Barefoot Sierra. I'm a novelist, comic creator, and independent journalist. I use they-them pronouns, and I've been living without shoes since 2010. I created this podcast to keep my audiences in touch with all of my projects, to talk about things I care about, and to interact with the awesome people in my various professional networks. I break this podcast up into four parts. Novels, comics, journalism, and barefooting, each representing a different aspect of my professional life. In this episode, I interviewed Megan Rogers, author of Rosie the Reindeer, Rosie Finds Her Shine. Let's get started. First up, novels. The second novel in my Red 72 series, Red 72 Genesis, is currently available as a free ebook on Amazon through December 26th. You can give me the best Christmas gift ever by downloading it, reading it, then leaving a rating and review. And now for my interview with Rosie Finds Her Shine author, Megan Rogers. Hi, Megan. Thanks so much for joining me on this show. Please tell the listeners a little about yourself and where you're from. Hey, so my name is Megan Rogers, and I'm actually from a little small town called Bowden, Georgia. Um, We like to call it Broken Bucket, Georgia, from time to time. It is super tiny, but um, it's fun being from a small town. Um, We have a pretty cool um, community out here that loves local artists. We love performing arts um, right next to us in Carrollton, and that's actually where I grew up. Um, and had a business for 13 years before delving into the world of this, the author and the children's author, you know, world. Yeah. And so you've, you've written the, um, a, a book, a children's book about, uh, an adorable little reindeer. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. So, um, going back to the business that I owned in Carrollton, Georgia, um, I ran a dance studio. It was a performing arts studio for 13 years where we offered vocal, um, guitar classes, piano, uh, acting, but mainly dance. Um, and it was really important to me growing up in the dance world that we didn't just do your average recital at the end of every year, because if anybody knows anything about dance recitals, they can be rather boring, Um, and so I just wanted to, at a very young age at 21, I was like, we're going to do two shows a year. They're going to be original scripts. We're going to always put a team together. We're going to write these shows, base them around the kids and just bring concepts and themes to the stage that people maybe haven't put out there. And that really got good feedback. So, um, I did have a lot of other main writers. I had an acting teacher, um, and she really headed up a lot of it and I learned a lot from her. 
Um, but the one concept and theme that I came up with kind of early, um, this little character, Rosie the Reindeer, and it was um, 11 years ago. And we kind of developed the show being a stage show. Obviously, it was a little more based around dance. Um, so we kind of have to tie in songs and things like that. And we pulled little ideas and Rosie kind of went through the journey of leaving North Pole. She actually went to New York and she wanted to be a Radio City Rocket. Well, um, my mom loved that show. She talked about it for years. And then my mom actually passed um, a year ago. This past week was a year. And one thing that my mom had always pressed me to do was to write. She was always like, you're so creative, your concepts, you really need to get them down on paper and share them, not just with the dance community, but everybody. So after my mom passed, I just, um, I quickly felt the motivation. I wish I would have done it sooner, but, um, you know, you just, you do different things when you're grieving or in honor of loved ones. And I immediately took pencil to paper and I rewrote the show. I took, um, our script and I just basically kept Rosie and the dream that she wanted to dance, but I just had to kind of integrate more things that would make sense to kids outside of the dance world. And so Rosie now is, um, going to be a North Pole princess. She never leaves the North Pole. Um, I took out a lot of surrounding characters and made the relationship a little bit more about believing in herself and um, really searching for support um, from her parents rather than what was around her, you know, kind of going back to the home relationship. And also um, the cool thing about her family dynamic is that Rudolph, which I cannot use in the book because he's obviously copyrighted and we just um, kind of call him Rosie's famous brother, but it's based on him. And um, that puts a lot of pressure that creates a lot of overshadowing on um, Rosie's dreams and the attention on Rosie when you have such a powerful older sibling in the mix of your family. And I think a lot of kids deal with that. Um, I'm the older sibling in my family and I can certainly look back now as a mom and I see that our dynamic was very different. And I can see where my talents and my skills, because I was first born, they were maybe a little more catered to because it was easier when there was the first one. And, you know, I think everybody's journey is different as a parent, but I find myself struggling with that too, sometimes with my two kids. So um, I just kind of chose to take the story a different way to bring more things to light. And um, instead of being so focused on dance, it really becomes more of a story about Rosie being herself instead of trying to be like her brother. So it's kind of cool. I love that. And <laughs> you, you must have had so, so much time put into writing all those original shows for the dancing. Cause I did dance for, I, I don't know how many years, like I started in elementary school and I, like I did dance up through university. I, I did dance sport in university and yeah, it's, it's, a lot. it's so much. It's so much yeah. to do an original show twice a year. Oh my goodness. I can't even imagine the work to put into that. I can tell you in my younger years before marriage, before kids, it was just, I was eat, sleep, breathe all of the things. I was like, oh, the lighting, the costumes, this color rhinestone. I want to cut this song. You know, this is the choreography. We're using this prop. And um, it was not, my brain never rested. Um, but then, you know, your life just shifts and takes on different um, paths. And it got to the point where 
uh, after my mom had passed, I was like, you know, it's time to slow down. And uh, that's why I retired from the dance studio world. I'm still involved. I'm doing choreography and helping with um, my studio shows, but I did sell it. And it's been very rewarding to be here at home and be able to put my creative vibe kind of into a different branch where I can be home with my kids and also still be myself, you know? Absolutely. And owning your own business like that, that sort of creative thing that must have really helped with your own self-publishing that you've done. Can you talk a bit about that and how you decided to go that route? Yeah. I mean, yes and no. I mean, so I did actually teeter-totter a lot between should I just like send my story in? Should I not? Um, And I just felt really impressed. I don't know if it was just a decision I made out of that desire to honor my mom so quickly, or if I just really felt, you know, oppressing in my heart to be like, do something different quickly with my life. I don't know. I mean, we didn't know we were going to get pregnant a third time. We're pregnant with our third and um, we didn't know we were going to lose my mom and I didn't know I was going to retire and you may, I made all these big decisions. And so self-publishing for me felt more in my court. Like it felt um, I just sought a lot of advice and wisdom from others and a lot of people just said, you know what, when you self-publish, you have more control over it. it. It's a lot more money up front and it's a lot more work on your part. But if you really want it to feel like this was all the way around yours, um, this is the way to go. And there's something about like my personality type anyways, being in charge, calling the shots, making the decisions. It can be a curse and a blessing. Um, I have to rein it in sometimes, you know, but I think that that's what most pulled me towards that self-publishing was like, you know what, I, I, I'm looking at this character, Rosie, and I feel this connection with her from 11 years ago, a younger Megan. And I can't imagine putting that in the lap of someone else who doesn't know her or know her journey or um, can't even really feel, you know, what I was feeling when I was writing it. So I just kind of jumped on the self-publishing and um, there's been highs and lows. I've had you're, you do a lot of the back work, like you're like calling people and, Hey, do you want to sell my book? And then the promoting a lot of that. Um, but it's a really social media driven world we live in. I feel like people are looking for things all the time, you know, more than anything, people like to shop. Um, especially after the pandemic, you know, shopping, even though people's job statuses change, people were shopping, you know, <laughs> like people be spending some money. And I'm like, okay, the social media thing might not be that hard because I've grown up in this world where you had to promote yourself online. So I just kind of took that out of the concept and said, I was like, you know what? That's not going to be complicated. Don't even dwell on that. It's good. It's easy. You are good. I had to really focus in on like the things I just don't know, you know, do you copyright? Do you get endorsements? Um, You know, how do you print? How many are you going to print? Should you do a Kickstarter? Should you not? Um, And so that was all just, it's all just new. I mean, now that the book is printed and um, sitting on a ship somewhere for over a month and stuck at sea, I'm learning the lesson of I should have done things sooner, you know, because I'm a Christmas book. Um, And uh, it's just a live and learn thing. Um, So 
I don't know. I kind of am just treating this holiday season like the season where you plant the seed and then next Christmas really feels like it'll be my Christmas. I don't know if that, did I talk in circles? I don't know. I I think that definitely, that definitely does answer it. And a lot of self-publishing, I feel like is for sure a learning experience. My first self-published book, I tell this every time I do like a panel at a convention, I had an accidental zombie in my book that none of my editors caught because I, again, it's a lot of money up front. I went with low budget editors, which they were within my budget at the time. I stayed within budget, but none of the three editors that I used caught the fact that I had killed a character on one page and then 10 page later, she was back alive. Yeah. She just read the rest of it. (laughs) It was, it was supposed to be her sister. And oops, wrong sister was. I I love that though. Yeah. I I mean, it, it just goes to show that you're here and you're standing on your two feet. You're doing this. You're still creative. And um, I think what's so important for people to understand, and 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 still a learning curve for me. Um, you're gonna get told no. You're gonna mess up. Um, you're gonna put your heart and soul out there, and someone's going to crush it. Hands down, it's not going to be perfect. I mean. I remember getting my first email back. I had emailed Literati because I just, I love their kids box, the subscriptions and um, their books are always so vivid and creative. And I was like, Oh, I, I want my book in this, you know? And they were like, Oh, it's under review. And I was so hopeful. And then I'll never, I'll never forget opening the email. That was just like, Hey, we looked at it. Um, we've decided at this time, this is just not for us. And my heart fell into my butt. I was just like, Oh, you know, and, um, I've had multiple other emails saying, no, I've walked into bookstores and just been like pumped, ready to go. Here's my book. Take a look. No, just like not even going to look at your pages, not interested. Um, and so you just have to roll with the punches as you go, because there's someone out there. There is a, there's a wing for every one of us. I think there's enough room for every one of us. Um, and there's people for every one of us. So you just got to keep pushing forward. Um, I found out I put my endorsements in the wrong spot of the book, the first print 4,000 copies. And then I had a story coach and she was like, Hey, I think, excuse me. She's like, Hey, I think, um, you should have put this here where the endorsements actually go, not here. And I was like, I just ordered 4,000 books. (laughs) gotta roll with it for sure for sure and and for every I think for every yes you get you probably get a hundred no's and Um, so like you get used to hearing no and it doesn't make it any less soul crushing every time Mm -hmm. you hear it but Mm -hmm. yeah you you do hear a lot of no's and that's gonna happen if you publish traditionally as well because you have to pitch to everybody that's accepting manuscripts like hey random house penguin whoever like you send it everywhere and they all say no anyway like whatever (laughs) yeah so everybody's publishing route whether you're self-published or traditional published it always looks a little bit different can you tell us exactly how you went about your self-publishing journey like what were the steps you took So um, I have this friend who owns a very successful online boutique. That's why I was kind of of quoting back to, I know that people are out there searching for stuff because she's got this boutique and um, I have done some work with her and she's very, she's just um, very savvy 
at all things. She's the person that you can be like, Hey, do you know, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, Oh yes. You know, she's got it in her back pocket. She has a phone number for everybody. So when I decided to do this, um, I had actually, she had attended my mother's funeral and I actually gave the eulogy and her husband and obviously her, she came up and they were like, you have to, you have to start writing. And I was like, you know what guys, like, I just don't know where to even go about this, you know? And they were both like, we know people who have, you know, published stuff. We know, and like just all this, you know, knowledge basically of we've got people. And I'm like, okay, well it can't hurt to go down the rabbit hole. So through a couple phone calls and a couple different connections from her, um, hooked up with a story coach and, um, her name's Shelly. Perdia and Shelly Perdia Snow, and she is just a genius. Um, she's in St. Louis and she helps a lot of authors and she does like Zoom calls just like this with um, many different people and she helps develop their story. And so we did a consultation in, um, I believe, December of last year because mom was October and then I wrote through all the way through the holidays and it was like the very end of December that we touched base and she was like, you've got something here. You've got a great story. I'd love to help you develop it. And she was key in me getting this far because she just step for step helped me. Like now it's time to do this. Now it's time to select an author, like an illustrator, you know, like, um, and so it's kind of like, I see people on Facebook saying like, I offer online courses and it was basically like going to school with her for just this self-publishing route. Because I was like, you have to tell me all the things. I don't know any of them. And so Shelly really was a good guide. Um, and and it wasn't even very um, hold my hand the entire way so that I made no mistakes. She's going to, she let me make some of the mistakes. You know, she's, she's very much like, you're going to have to pick your formatter. You know, you're going to have to select. And um, I can also say that like, there's a lot of Facebook groups self-publishing. And I know some of the information you have to, um, you have to be careful and not be like jump on everything and think it's gold, but then some stuff is really good. Little, like good little nuggets of wisdom from some of those groups. Um, and I've just been watching some other authors make their mistakes and they'll post, thank God for their, you know, transparency. Um, and then I've just been learning like that. So I guess, I would say like through a friend and then just taking that chance, you know, and then this, the consistency of weekly going back to Shelly on zoom. Here's what I worked on that you told me to do X, Y, Z checked off my list and then taking it step for step. Kind of what I did. And then you went through, you, you got your Kickstarter, you found an illustrator, you got your book in print what is your marketing like? How do you market yourself and get your book out there to people? So one thing I did, and I've had a lot of people, I had a lot of people ask me about this, but I didn't realize that I had done such a good job at this until, until it kind of had, I had done it. I don't know. I didn't know I was doing it, but I created my social media account a long time before I even had my character sketched. Um, I really started putting my social media journey um, on my personal pages and I really don't have a huge following. I only have about 5,000 followers from dance studio life 
and, um, you know, just like friends, family and all that. I'm not an influencer or anything like that, but I'm very transparent on my personal stories. Um, and I started sharing that journey and then I created that Instagram page early, like February and didn't even have a character in hand until summer, you know? And so it was kind of a fun build for people to wait. Like I would just constantly be like, I can't tell you what we're doing right now because I don't know if it's not in front of my face, but like, I'm getting excited. I'm interviewing three illustrators. We're, we're doing these sketches and I would share things, you know, and I would involve my audience. Like, do you think Rosie looks like this? Do you think Rosie looks like that? Um, even though I knew in my heart, which one I was going to go with, I knew who Rosie was when she was on paper. It was just that transparency, that involvement with that community. Um, so I do think my Instagram, if you do use Kickstarter, there are so many good analytics where they'll tell you, Hey, you got this sale from Facebook. You got this sale from Instagram. You got this directly from the Kickstarter launch page. So I really got a lot from Facebook and Instagram. And I had so many people message me and be like, I've never seen anybody hit $5,500 in the first 12 hours. And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm shocked too. I I didn't think that I was going to meet that and surpass my goal in, in 12 hours. And they were like, how did you do it? And I really go back and I think it was my Facebook and Instagram. I just kept sharing the journey. You know, it was in your face. If you didn't want to see it, you needed to click away because that was my life. You know, like this is where I'm at. This is what I'm going through. So I think that helped a lot. And right now my marketing strategy is because we've developed past the character creation and the book is out there. Um, the Kickstarter obviously helped because I had 300 books ordered on the Kickstarter. And then I got a website built. One of my friends does web web design. So that was great. And he actually is working with me to show me how to build it on the backside. Cause it can get expensive to have somebody keep up the maintenance of your website every week, you know? So I'm learning that and that's out of my ballpark. That's a new skill for me. Um, and then festivals. I don't know what area people that are listening are from, but festivals and market and vendor markets are very popular in the South. Um, we have, you know, fall market, windmill market, the pumpkin fest, um, barn of blue. Like we have all these things. And so I have just been signing myself up left and right for festivals um, to have a booth and be just talk, start a conversation with people and be like, hey, this is my book. I'd love for you to look at it. Um, And then I think, too, which this is a new thing. I'll start this um, in the next three days. I have my first school visit. So I've been really hitting up the local schools and saying, hey, no strings attached. I want to come read to your kids. And everybody loves that. You know, there's some schools that are still virtual, um, you know, after COVID and some schools want you to come in. You know, some schools are going to put me up on a stage while the kids are really far down in the auditorium. We're not close to each other. And then other schools are more comfortable with everybody being in the library all huddled up. So it's a bunch of different experiences that I'm about to go into. I have about 12 to 17 I I would say about 17 because I'm doing some daycares too, but um, readings in the next 40 something days. And um, I think that's going to be huge, you know? So I think that'll do well. And I can obviously report back to anybody after I start doing them to let them know how it goes. That sounds like so much fun. Those festivals are my absolute favorite part of interacting with people. They like, it's more of a, 
like one-on-one that you get to have with people. They come up to your booth and mm-hmm. I love that type of thing. We haven't really opened up a whole lot of that in my area yet. Cause we're still really, really struggling with COVID here, which that's a whole other issue. I won't go into that. But. Yeah, I know different parts, you know, different areas for sure. So I would say for people who um, maybe don't have that as an option, you know, your social media, your stories, really big deal. And I just feel like don't be scared to be honest with people. You know, like when I kicked off my Kickstarter, I just basically like told people, I don't have the money to do this. I'm retiring. And when I retire, I'm leaving a business that was completely debt-free until COVID hit. And then I borrowed a huge SBA loan to even be able to dig myself out of that year. And it, it pained me because it's a big deal when you're debt-free under 35, you know, you're just like, this is an accomplishment. It's something to be proud of. And when I had to sign my name and get that loan and start debt all over again with, you know, I was pregnant with my second one kid at home. And I thought, what am I doing with my life? And so my transparency with people of, Hey guys, like, I'm going to need y'all to just like believe in this project. And, you know, you've come to my shows, you've seen my choreography, you've seen my costume in my work for years, and you all are talking about how create, you know, how creative I am. This is that time I need you to step in. I need you to put your money where your mouth is and support this journey so we can kick this bad boy off. And I think honesty goes a long way. Absolutely. What would you say you are most looking forward to for this Christmas season and what Rosie's going to be up to? Oh gosh, I don't know. That's a hard question. I guess because um, I already love Christmas anyways. Um, I'm nervous, I think, for this Christmas season because it's a lot. Like if you look at the pages of my planner, it is every day up until December 19th. And it starts this coming up Monday. And um, so there's a part of me that's got this anxiety built up going, oh my God, Megan, are you going to even be able to have like the quality time with your family, this and that. But then there's this other side of me that I get these photos on um, like social media and these text messages of people, their kids like reading the book. I've had kids, um, asking if they could dress up as Rosie for Halloween. I mean, and so there's, there's a lot of joy in in that, you know? And so I'm kind of in a weird way, it's like I'm opening up my home for the holidays with like all these strangers because Rosie was just this big part of my heart. And she meant so much to me because she meant so much to my mom. So I don't know. I think this, even though it's going to be extremely tiring and I'll be hitting my third trimester with this third pregnancy, I think we will be tired, but I think our hearts are going to be really full. So I'm, I'm just, I'm excited. And I think that Rosie has got a big future ahead of her. I am naive enough to think that someday on Broadway, my show will be danced again and it'll be a totally different twist. Um, and it'll have a totally different pizzazz, but I just, I'm just naive enough to think big and dream big like that. That kind of vision will take you far. Where can people <laughs> find your book, Rosie the Reindeer Finds Her Shine? So on my website, um, I've got my store set up. It's a square store and it's um, www.lifeisrosie.co. 
um, because the calm was taken. So you got to watch out for that calm. Um, and then it's also available on Amazon Target and Barnes and Noble. So that's the hardback. Um, I really am hopeful that people will order from me and wait for my Kickstarter books to come in mid-November because I kind of went all out on my first edition. I have like the pretty metallic front with like the gold shine where if you get it on Amazon and stuff, it doesn't have that special, you know, quality to it, but it's still a great book no matter where you go. Um, But I think your kids are going to love it. Megan, it has been so great chatting with you. Thanks so much for joining me. You're welcome. Thanks so much for having me. And you guys have a wonderful holiday season. Now on to comics. Wouldn't it be great if your elf on the shelf was actually a baby possum? Then it really would move all on its own. This week's comic, Elf on the Shelf, featuring Possum Paul as an elf on the shelf, is now available on my Patreon, patreon.com slash possumpeat. In comics news, Swedish gaming firm Embracer bought Dark Horse Comics. CEO and founder Mark Richardson will still independently lead the publisher. For the sake of the comics Dark Horse publishes, I hope this is true and isn't some sort of Facebook buying Instagram and then slowly turning them into the same thing type of deal. Adidas, yes, shoe company Adidas, is getting into the non-fungible token business. I still don't really understand the point of this NFT stuff. It basically feels like auctioning off a PDF file or a private link, which, why? What's the appeal? Why are these a thing people pay for? Anyway. Adidas announced a partnership with Board Ape Yacht Club NFT Project, cryptocurrency investor G-Money, and Punk's Comic, which is a comic that gets released only as a limited run of NFTs. Adidas announced this partnership on Twitter on December 2nd with the tweet, Today we leap into the metaverse with Board Ape Yacht Club, G-Money, and Punk's Comics. It's time to enter a world of limitless possibilities. Adidas's first NFTs were virtual wearables for the blockchain metaverse game The Sandbox. I have zero experience with The Sandbox, but I'm starting to understand what my grandparents must have felt like trying to comprehend watching their grandkids play Facebook games 15 years ago. I'm the old person looking at all the young kids going, what the heck is going on? I'll be honest, at first when I heard that Adidas was doing NFTs, I rolled my eyes. But if the sandbox is anything like the Oasis from Ready Player One, it absolutely makes sense for a brand that makes wearable items for real life to want to enter into a digital online wearable market space as well. For reasons beyond my comprehension, NFTs, non-fungible Bitcoin stuff, it's taken off. It's probably here to stay. Brands that get into this market before their competitors are going to have the advantage. All right, next up is journalism. This popped up in my Facebook memories this week from 2014. We saw someone walking around outside across the street and heard knocking on the door a few minutes later, but they were gone when we peeked outside through the window. We thought someone was scouting the house for a break-in until we opened the door to find a pixie gift. Thank you, whoever is our Christmas pixie. I don't know if pixies are a Mormon thing or just a Southern Alberta thing or what, but it's when you drop off gifts for the 12 days of Christmas in secret And then on the last day, either Christmas Eve or Christmas Day, the last gift has a card saying who it's from. I've been both a pixie and been pixied. My husband at the time, a Filipino who immigrated to Canada at age 21, aka unfamiliar with many regional traditions, and an adult convert to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, therefore not familiar with many of its more 
peculiar cultural traditions, looked at me like I was crazy when I told him the person outside was probably a pixie and he didn't need to worry about a burglar. He looked at me like I was making up another word again, like nick-tick, which is for some reason what I've always called the small kitchen towels you dry dishes with. But pixieing is a real thing. It's, you know, like heart attacking. It's when you cover a door with paper hearts or, you know, toilet papering someone's house. They're all things teenage girls tend to do with their adult leaders at LDS church youth group activities. So on November 9th, a Latter-day Saint young women's group in Blackfoot, Idaho, went around putting up turkey-shaped notes on people's doors. Totally normal. We're Mormons. It's what we do. One of the houses they visited was that of Bingham County Sheriff Craig Rowland. And by the way, these girls are between the age of 12 and 16, and they're putting Thanksgiving notes, cute little turkeys that say thank you, on the door for his wife, not him, mind you. So they put the note on the door, ring the doorbell, go back to their car, for some reason, instead of just looking to see who's out there, Roland freaked out, told his wife, hand him his gun because he thought it was someone dangerous. He followed them to their vehicle, shouting profanities and waving his gun at them. Roland verbally threatened to shoot one of the adult leaders who was accompanying the girls, then grabbed her by her hair and dragged her out of her vehicle. Roland was on a leave of absence from his work as a sheriff for five weeks while being investigated for this incident, but as of December 15th, with charges of aggravated battery, aggravated assault, and exhibition of a deadly weapon, all pending against him, pending trial, he's back at work. What does Roland have to say for himself? He'd been drinking, and he was messed up still from daylight savings time change. So you attacked a young women's leader? Are you kidding me? And he's still the sheriff, back at work. What kind of alternate reality is this? People are calling for him to step down, which I don't even understand how that's still an option for him. But yes, step down. <sighs> a cab man. Now for something equally mind-blowing, but slightly less infuriating. An Edmonton road grader hit a forward focus and was pushing it along in front of it. The sedan eventually spun and hit a snowbank, at which point the driver of the vehicle like fell out onto the snow. Or I can't really tell if she jumped out or fell out. My boyfriend asked me if I'd heard about what happened with the grader. I thought he was going to be complaining about how they scraped all the snow and ice off the bike lanes and left it a foot deep for us to drive through. City council, if you're listening, fix that. It's a problem. But no, he told me about this absolutely bonkers video on CTV News. The part I didn't notice when I watched the video was that the focus driver was hit by her own vehicle after she made her exit from the vehicle. She's in the hospital with non-life-threatening injuries. And the crash is under investigation. Which, good. I don't understand how something like this could have happened. Did she cut the grater off and then the driver didn't notice her in front of him? Or was the driver of the grater intentionally driving bad out of road rage? But how do you not notice you're pushing a sedan for half a block? I have so many questions. I'm just going to have to wait for those answers, though. That's all for this week's episode. I'll be back tomorrow with a special Christmas Eve edition of the podcast with the big man in red himself. Thanks so much for listening in. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to Sierra the Barefoot Girl at gmail.com. Thank you to Max Co. for this episode's intro and outro music. You can find me on Twitter at Sierra Barefoot, on TikTok at Sierra is Barefoot, and on Instagram at Sierra the Barefoot. All of my books are available on Amazon under the name Sierra Larson and on my website, sierratherefootgirl.com. 
My Patreon is patreon.com slash possumpete. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening. Until next time, this has been Barefooting with Sierra.